KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives. Each and every weeknight at 6 on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with us tonight. Coming up, talking endings with Reverend Amy Altizer of Flourish Bakery and intern Aaron Barney, as well as new beginnings with Sydney Shorter, the new president and CEO of the Utah Black Chamber. And we're going to get right into rallies and resources. Lots of pride events that we talked about on the show last night. And now we're going to talk pride news with radioactive co-host emeritus Sue Robbins. Hey, Sue. How are you doing? I'm so excited to have you back on mic and in the studio. It's always great to come back. I, I love miss it. it so much. Well, you know, the mic is always here waiting for you. You had an opportunity to be the guest editor of City Weekly's Pride issue, which is now on newsstands, now online. Yes, it was awesome experience. They reached out to me and asked if I would like to do it. It is the first time they've attempted this, so I was kind of honored that they thought of me. And it was a good experience to kind of see how part of their process worked. So I was able to do the guest editorial and review some great articles they put in there. And we're seeing a lot of that between our different publications that have been putting together Pride issues. Always Q Salt Lake's there with Michael Aaron. Mm -hmm. The Tribune did a Pride edition, and then so did Salt Lake City Weekly. So I'm, yeah. I'm and happy now you're back here on Radioactive for Pride. Uh, we're gonna get outsized into... voice, huh? Oh, I love it. I love it. We're, well, one of the reasons you stepped away from the mic, if folks haven't. Uh, uh, heard of Sue on Radioactive before. She was hosting every Monday night for a couple of years with us as a volunteer community co-host. Stepped away to focus on policy, and boy, I really do think that was huge. Uh, just a, the right choice because so many things that have been happening, what we've seen at the Utah legislature with bills, and we're going to talk about one of them that has resulted in a lawsuit filed just this week and joining us from the ACLU of Utah. Uh, plaintiff attorney uh, John Mejia, legal director at the ACLU of Utah. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Can you kind of summarize HB 11 and then the points that you're going to go after in this lawsuit and who you're representing? Sure. So HB 11 was a bill passed this year uh, in the Utah legislature over the veto of uh, Governor Cox. And the bill uh, prohibits transgender girls from competing in sports uh, at any level, K through 12. It's very specific about just transgender girls, isn't it? That's right. It specifies that transgender girls may not compete on girls' teams. So They could do intramural. They could do PE. They just can't compete. Correct. But, you know, from our perspective and from the perspective of, you know, our tran the trans girls that we represent, it might as well be a complete ban because... Mm -hmm. You know, if they're not allowed to fully and equally compete, they are sort of relegated to second-class status. Mm -hmm. And so we brought a lawsuit on behalf of uh, two very courageous uh, transgender girls um, to uh, challenge that ban under the Utah State Constitution. Huge case that is uh, was fully anticipated, Sue, and especially from you coming on the show and, and talking about your work behind the scenes during the legislative session. All right, I take it you're not surprised this is where we are right now. Not at all. It's from the perspective of everything that happened in the legislature, 
we were in rooms and we were seeing in the news where people who were pushing this ban said they expected it to be sued. And some of them even said they expected the lawsuit to be successful. So this tells us this was done for reasons other than what they try and position it for. There's political reasons behind this and it's very apparent. They don't have to say it. When you pass something, say we know you're gonna sue you us and we know you're gonna win, what other reason can there be? And this does harm to our youth while they go out for their political reasons. So it's very upsetting that it has gone through this path. So you, just before we cracked the mics, found something, uh, another move by uh, a politician. And I think we should bring that in because what is this other thing? Is it a strategy going into midterm elections? Is this part of the national conversation about who gets to call the shots, Republicans or Democrats? And it was uh, Kira Berkland who's on the school board, right? The state, is it State Board of Education? Kara Berkland is the sponsor Uh, of HB 11. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up all my politicians. From the Morgan area. There we go. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So uh, I haven't been able to consume this, but I had a friend who tagged me on copies of this, and apparently Representative Berklin sent letters to a school mm-hmm. uh, saying, here's information that is called the School Resource Guide for Navigating the Transgender Landscape. And at first glance, this is not a very uh, embracing <laughs> document for the transgender community and so I don't understand where she feels like this is what she should do as a representative we have a school board that gives guidance and we've already seen the state school board was putting together a gender identity guidance and because of the furor that came in under Utah Parents United they put it on pause even though they had gone through all their drafting and were reaching the end. Mm. So they've already blocked that document that would have been very useful for our schools and now this one's coming out that I have to read more. And I'm really getting concerned at the way we're attacking our children in schools yeah. too. Well, and I'm just kind of curious and I'll extend an invitation to uh, Representative Berkland to ex- explain if she would like to take the mic up here at KRCL but who anointed her the policy person to issue guidance and John is legal director of the ACLU uh, is that an eye roll at the very least you know from from my perspective uh, there is a you know every um, school has the ability to, to sort of set policy there's principles and then you have the the districts and then you have the state board of education and we entrust those, you know, bodies with a lot of responsibility for you know, schools. And so, you know, I, I had not seen that story, and you know, I'm not not prepared to talk about it. But, you know, I think that it's clear that, from my perspective, there are people who are education professionals that have the kids' best interest in mind that I think deserve a lot of respect. So I just want to go to your press release issued earlier this week on behalf of the families in filing this lawsuit to challenge a state's ban on transgender girls playing school sports. And there's a quote in here from uh, Justice Christine Durham, former Chief Justice of the Utah Supreme Court, senior counsel, uh, senior of counsel at Wilson Sensini, another law firm on this lawsuit with the ACLU. And she says, this law bans transgender girls from competing with other girls in every sport at every grade level and regardless of each girl's individual circumstances, it cannot survive constitutional scrutiny. 
and it endangers transgender children. And the press release goes on to say that in the minds of those of the plaintiffs, HB 11 violates multiple provisions of the Utah Constitution. Can you kind of enumerate those for us? Sure. And uh, I'd also just like to shout out the, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, who's another co-counsel on the, on the case along with us, um, and Wilson Sonsini. So just sort of a short summary of Utah constitutional claims. So the federal constitution has a lot of guarantees that set sort of a floor for what people's individual rights and liberties are in this country. But states can be more protective or, or protective in different areas. And so for this case, we're suing under the Utah State Constitution. And the Utah State Constitution, very similarly to the federal constitution, has um, what's called the Uniform Operations of Law provision, which means that all laws must sort of equally apply to all people, uh, unless there are you know, you know some very good reasons. And in this case, our allegation is that because this HB 11 singles out transgender girls for differential treatment based on their sex, that that violates Utah, Utah's constitution in that way. Uh, Utah also has a very um, interesting provision that uh, provides that people should enjoy equal civil and political rights uh, regardless of their sex. And much like you know the Uniform Operations Clause if you have a, a law that singles out trans, transgender girls for different treatment based on who they are, based on their gender identity, um, you know that to us violates the Utah State Constitution. These are not obscure points of law. No, certainly not. They are fundamental. And that's actually our third claim, which is a violation of Utah's due process claim because equal treatment based on your sex is, fundam is a fundamental right. So, so working behind the scenes on policy, trying to educate lawmakers, bring folks in to share their stories. Um, what do you think is going on here? This, it seems to be a fundamental disregard for the law. Well, I feel we have a platform that's going across the United States where they found traction in going after transgender youth because they can misrepresent who we are in our youth's medical care and progression. We see it in attacks that are saying we should take away the medical care from the youth, which Alabama had a law that got passed and it's under an injunction right now so they can't enforce it. We see it in the sports bills that don't follow the transition that our youth go through so they misrepresent who we are in our bodies beyond going past all the legal issues. And then we see things like in Texas, where the governor has directed child services to go into homes with transgender youth and put them under investigation and directed other state employees to turn in all families with transgender youth. It's a broad attack. There's no basis behind any of these items. So we've become a political wedge issue of an extreme magnitude. All right, we gotta, we gotta talk some hope. We gotta talk some, some silver lining here. I don't wanna conclude this conversation as we head into Pride Week, and um, uh, this, this is a real challenge. It's a real threat to not just the rights of the LGBTQ plus community, but all of us, because it's chipping away at one, one's rights. It's chipping away at all. So uh, what would you like to leave folks with here tonight, Sue? So what I'd like to leave with you is that as we keep being out there, as we keep loving, as we keep education, educating people, 
more and more people come to our side. As I always say, we have to look at it as like politics. There's always two sides on politics and people in the middle, and they're the ones who get to decide the fate of things. If we are educating and making allies out of people in the middle and not spend our energy on the people on the far side other than in legal issues where we need to go in and make those fights, then we can increase our allyship and then we can have even greater support. And we've done that. When we look at the studies now, we're up in the 70 percentile of people who support non-discrimination for LGBT people. We have a lot of support, but they're going after issues where people haven't been educated on before, so we just keep educating. We let them meet our youth, and they will keep coming to our understanding and our support. That requires you to uh, take the long view of all of this, while as in the immediate short term, you are up against lawmakers who, in my mind, I'll put it not in your words, mine, uh, aren't negotiating or, or crafting legislation in good faith, I feel like. I don't feel like it either, and I can feel some of that throughout that. I want to keep having discussions with them. I want to have a relationship so that we can be at the table. But then when I see someone say that they support transgender youth and then they put a bill against us and then I see their words on social media otherwise, then I have to go in more cautiously. Mm -hmm. I still want to engage. I still want to educate them, but they're showing me that there's a faith issue here, so I can't come in with the same amount of faith I would normally. I have to be cautious around them, and I don't want it to be that way. The way we make progress for anybody is we all come to the table in good faith and have good discussions and work things out. Mm -hmm. And we have an environment right now politically where that doesn't happen very easily, and that's what's hurting us the most. You're also on the Transgender Advisory Council over at Equality Utah, past board chair of both the Utah Pride Center and the Transgender Education Advocates of Utah. You stay involved. Um, any Anything you want to shout out as we head into Pride for folks to roll up their sleeves and uh, either have fun or volunteer or get engaged? This is our month, folks. Whether you want to go out and rally and protest, we have rally Friday night. Whether you want to go out and celebrate, there's multiple celebrations, including the Pride Festival. And whether you just want to be in small groups, because that's what some of us need. Show your pride be proud of yourself, love one another. We are a community and this is a time that we stay together. Whether we have differences of opinion or not, we can work through those. We need to look at our oppressors and send our energy that way. And folks, check tonight's show notes for a link to the latest issue of City Weekly. It's their Pride issue, which Sue Guest edited. She's got an editorial in there. But also there's Where to Pride, a full schedule in that that you can pick up. And just lots more to read over, as you can hear. I'm flipping through it in the back, and it's uh, it looks great. Thank you, Sue, for coming back. Thank you for having me. Anytime. And John Mejia yeah. from the ACLU, what's your final takeaway, or what do you want to leave folks with about this lawsuit? Because it's going to take its w- a while to w- wend its way through the courts. Yeah, I, I, I think I want to echo what Sue said, that these are long, long struggles. And, you know, the lawsuit is part of a, a bigger effort to work for fairness for everybody in Utah and to stand up for people who are oppressed and singled out for differential treatment. And, you know, I think that that this is something that we are firmly committed to and there are many partners and and many people that care about this issue. And I think 
you know, we continue to dialogue, we continue to fight, and, you know, this is, this is a generational struggle, and, and we're in it for the long haul. I'm sure we'll have you back in the coming months ahead. So you look like you have another thing to add. Yeah, for those out there who heard about this lawsuit but really don't understand what they're looking at, this is a powerhouse team. You know, the ACL Utah has done a lot for us here in the state of Utah and understand the state court systems, which this is filed in. National Center of Lesbian Rights has Shannon Mentor as their lead legal counsel, and he's argued queer cases in front of the Supreme Court multiple times winning. And these councils include some very knowledgeable and strong people within the state of Utah, including two previous uh, Supreme Court justices of, yeah. the, of Utah. So we have a team there that is knows this stuff really well, has a lot of power, has really worked hard at putting this together, and I appreciate their efforts, and I have a lot of faith in the way this is going to go forward. Well, John, Sue, thank you so much for coming. I do want to remind folks, earlier in the week we had both Reverend Dr. Curtis Price, pastor of First Baptist, and Reverend Laura Young from South Valley Unitarian Universalist Society on, and you still have about 45 minutes to get to the Interfaith Pride Coalition Worship Service, and Glitter Blessing starts at 7 o'clock at First Baptist on 13th East and 777 South in Salt Lake City. When we come back... We're going to talk with the folks from Flourish Bakery. A little making do from Lake Street Dive to get us there on KRCL. This is Radioactive. The Utah LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce is open to businesses of all sizes, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. To learn more about creating partnerships between key organizations that add to the growth of LGBTQ and allied businesses, visit utahlgbtqchamber.org. Hi, I'm Brian Kelm. Since March of 1980, I've been bringing you the best in this great American musical art form we call the blues, every Monday night at 8 on the Red, White, and Blues program. Tune in for artists like the Kings, Phoebe, Freddie, and Albert, and Albert Collins to Etta Homesick or Elmore James, spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of blues, old and new. That's Red, White, and Blues every Monday night at 8, only on 90.9 FM KRCL. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Yeah, Learn same more that. at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Thank you, Shell. Shell, yeah, filling in for eBay earlier this afternoon. I'm Laura Jones. Welcome back to Radio Active. And coming up at 7, we've got Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike Walton at 8, The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30, I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich at 1 a.m., Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3, and uh, Start Your Brand New Day with John Florence at 6 a.m. tomorrow. You can find our full program lineup and listen on demand to the last two weeks of any show online at krcl.org. Let's keep plugging into our community. We still have Sydney Shorter, the new president and CEO of the Utah Black Chamber, to come on the show. But right now, we're talking endings with Rev- Reverend Amy Altizer of Flourish Bakery and graduate Aaron Barney. Thank you so much for coming in, you two. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Absolutely. So, you know, we had you on a couple weeks back, and you were saying the situation was dire due to the loss of a significant amount of funding and you know, after surviving COVID, I was really having my fingers crossed because five years of 
Great work helping folks turn their lives around, learn new skills, Reverend Altizer. Yeah. You know, um, so a couple weeks ago, we did, you know, have to make some hard decisions and we had to look at sustainability and the increased costs due to the economic circumstances that we are all facing together Mm -hmm. uh, have deeply impacted business operations. Butter is over twice the price it was five years ago. And I'm going to tell you, that's not the European butter. That's just your run-of-the-mill butter. Wow. (laughs) So the costs of baking great food have gone through the roof. And that isn't at the same time that you lost a significant chunk of financing. Yes, yes, we've seen changes in giving and grants. Again, economic circumstances. Um, There's a lot of need out there, and people want to spread the wealth, and I agree, everybody needs some. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we had a wonderful five years. We've had so many wonderful people. How many would you say have come through the program? Dozens and dozens of people Uh have come through our program. Aaron is our most recent graduate. Not everybody chooses to graduate. Aaron went all the way to the finish line. He's getting ready to take a job in the community. We're hoping IHC is going to be sending him an offer letter here any second. Aaron, thanks for coming Mm -hmm. down. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before Flourish, tell us about your life. Um, Okay, so... When, since I was seven years old, I've I've been in and out of trouble. Um, I talked a little bit about of it at a fundraiser that we had for Flourish uh, down at the with the Kinsey Six. Oh, at the Masonic Temple. Yeah, uh, that was we had a blast. Dragapella. Yes, great stuff. Um, so um, I talked a little bit briefly about. Um, when I'd have to, at seven, watch my mom leave me in a place. And it lasted for three years where I'd get home visits on the weekends. Um, I'd bawl my eyes out because I'd watch her driving down the road and leaving me there. And um, I, I think that I could say a lot of my trauma probably started there. Yeah. From there, it was just a spiral downward always in and out of trouble, detention, uh, prison, um, jail, group homes, substance abuse treatment programs, and nothing at all helped me. Uh, I don't even know that I could help myself Mm -hmm. because I didn't know how. Um, There were certain skills you didn't have. Yeah, and and I had... a GED, high school diploma, college education for auto mechanics, but no kind of life skills that were like really tangible. Um, they teach you life skills and stuff like that in prison and in drug programs, but they teach you them on a board. Yeah, it's very uh, kind of in in the head. Yeah, I mean, at when okay when I got this last day in in conquest it was a substance abuse treatment program in the prison um i took a culinary arts program uh through davis applied technologies mike seracio was my um my culinary arts professor uh he has a personal relationship with uh flourish showed me some videos on his computer in his office um, I was intrigued by it. At first, I was trying to say, well, maybe I'm going to go do mechanic work. I can make more money doing yeah. that. Uh-huh. He goes, you know what? 
I've watched you excel in this program. Yeah. Do something with it. Just go talk to Flourish. He talked me into it. I made a commitment. And I went and talked to them. And when I walked in the door, it was like that you could feel the love in the air of other people trying to help someone else on their journey yeah. to a better life. It was more than just a training certificate or something like that. More oh, than just on bet. the board. You bet. What was it? Because there's a lot more going on. I mean, I know you come from the Episcopalian tradition, mm -hmm. right, Amy? Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. So there's a bit of God in there, which may not be for, for everyone, but you spread it broadly, yeah. Reverend, to, to create what for your interns? You know, if there's anything to be taught, I think, about div the divine, the higher power, it is about love. And what Aaron sensed when he walked through the door is the essence of what we hold in the flourish space. And it is a love for one another, a love for the journey, um, and a love for self. And finding the self-love is one of the hardest things on our human journey. We are so good at shame. Yes, when we make wrong choices or mm -hmm. bad choices or have outcomes that are less than ideal. Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember, because early adopter of Forestry, <laughs> excuse me, Flourish Bakery mm -hmm. yeah. here, and I remember visiting you when you had your program at Salt Lake Community College. Yeah. And you said, come by for, for lunch. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, they'll probably just have some treats or something. You, that's part of that yeah. self-love but also service. Yes to others in your immediate environment yeah. is making good food yeah. and eating it with each other Sharing and talking it. about your day, which I'm yes. guessing, Aaron, isn't something that you had a lot of. No, it was about put trays on the table. You have so much time to eat it. And the commissary where we'd get together, like in institutions and stuff, we'd get together and throw I, each of us would throw stuff in and make a spread but it's not the same thing mm -hmm. um each of us takes a turn making a meal that is thought out uh you have to prepare it you have to um make it palatable i mean <laughs> you know and and it's nice because Anybody from the table will tell you that when I make a meal, I'm usually the last one. Yeah. I will wait until everybody else has had some when I'm when I cook the meal, and then I'll watch everybody's face as they eat it around the table. What are you What are you looking for in that moment? I like to make food that people like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it does something for my for my soul to make food for people mm -hmm. and um food is the best thing you can do to bring people together and especially the kind of stuff that we cook for each other you bet you bet it really does pull us together mm -hmm. and that table in there isn't just for eating mm -hmm. that is another uh piece of the piece of the whole frame framework there is that that crying table in there 
Okay, we got to talk about the crying table, but I want to remind folks what we're, we're talking about, and that is Flourish Bakery after five years is unfortunately going to be closing its doors. Aaron Barney is a recent graduate telling us about his journey and what it means to him, and Reverend Amy Altizer, co-founder and executive director of the program here with the, the sad news, but uh, tell me a bit more about that part of the process in building this social enterprise in our community and why it was so important to bring a team together and do it like this. Oh, wow. Now, we could write a volume of books on that, so we'll try to well, I think <laughs> condense <you should>. it. <laughs> so what we built was what we call a middle space, and that's something that I started writing about over 10 years ago, actually. And it's where peepi- people from seemingly dissimilar populations come together in the same space, share time, conversation, um, break share a meal together, get to know one another, and find that we have a whole lot more in common than we do different. And sharing the story that Aaron's talking about where there's tears because it's honesty, it's truthfulness, it's bearing the hard parts of our lives open and making ourselves known in fullness, not hiding Raw and yeah. real. Raw and real, mm. yes, yes. But safe at the same and time. Absolutely. It's about that safety. That's what builds the community and the mm. friendships and the trust. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about second mm. chances mm. that uh, people can rehabilitate, can yeah. be redeemed, but the space to do that in our American society is yeah. hard to find and to allow and obviously to support as Flourish has tried for five years and is is drawing to a close. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because, you know, we're we're seeing in the wake of these mass shootings, we're Mm. seeing in the wake of uh, laws being passed Mm. against the other, that Mm. we have a hard time as a society, let alone right here in Little Salt Lake City, creating that safe middle space for folks who are outside the mainstream, who are outside that model of success that we uh, so expect and create pressure to produce. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to tell you the secret that it probably is more about transforming those of us who think we have everything together than it is for Aaron or anyone who comes from a background like Aaron's experiences to transform. Because those of us who think we've got our lives together. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend. No problem. <laughs> Had to pause there for a sec. Um, <laughs> but um, we have guards up around yeah. our heart, and we believe that we know. Mm-hmm. And in truth, if we're willing to be vulnerable, listen, share, and dig deep in our own lives, all of us have experiences of abandonment. Uh, tragedy, trauma, sorrow, grief. And then when we're able to tap in and be vulnerable with one another, magic happens in our hearts and we are transformed, or we might be called that redeemed. Redeemed. <laughs> Aaron, uh, I, like I said, I, I don't know if, if God's your thing, but finding that space, that safe space to do that work on yourself, to find that next thing for yourself, uh, I guess it was a little bit hard at the beginning and now here at the end of this program what do you what do you think of that approach um i'll tell you probably one of the hardest 
things when I started was my prison attitude, coming straight out of prison. And, and I talk about this yeah. almost every time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I come in there, you, you know when you come out of prison, you got a little bit of an attitude with authority and that type of thing. Anybody that asks you to do something, it kind of gets you on the defensive. Well, this team that she had brought together to help us help each other with our issues was able to pull me to the side and say, what's going on? What can we do to have you step back and uh, analyze if the way you're reacting is appropriate? Because um, the way you react to a situation, and, and it, whether it's inappropriate or not, can affect other people around you. Well, how is it different from the whiteboard in those programs in prison? How was this different? Because you actually get the interaction with the people. It's on a real and not a... Compelled uh, basis? Yeah, it's not like a role play. Yeah. This is some real life situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And in, in the prison, in the classrooms, it's a role play. Yeah. But we're in a real situation where we're in a confined space mm-hmm. where we're going to have issues with each other. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, in that bakery... Uh, once those issues come up, usually you've got best friend, better friends there, and and than you'll ever have anywhere else because you, I don't know, it, it teaches you a way to uh, look at things a little differently, to validate whether not your feelings are valid yeah. in that place, no matter what they are. Now, how you act upon them is something that you can get help from your yeah. peers with and your staff. Yeah. I'm guessing this is something you heard from folks who came into Flourish as interns and left as graduates, mm-hmm. Reverend. Yeah. This opportunity to try on life in a safe space, receive feedback, not be threatened with the loss of your job or belittled or demeaned by your superior is a really important process in healing and developing um, strong skill sets. It's really about changing the neural pathway in the brain. That's a really complex conversation. Um, But it's about, it's literally like those trains that I was complaining about out there today. (laughs) You you just switch the the track. Just switch the track. And if you switch the track enough times, the train will start going down the new track on a regular basis. But it takes time. It takes practice. Well, so what comes next? Because Mm. you're closing out Flourish Bakery. You had bought a building in Midvale. You have a food truck. But we didn't buy the building. We had hoped to buy a building. But um, the building that we're currently in was being sold. And the new buyer didn't want to renew the lease this coming year and was going to demolish the site and that was kind of the final straw to helping you'd already gone through finding that oh my goodness you know how hard that was um and with the current costs of commercial real estate we knew that we wouldn't be able to bridge that gap Mm -hmm. financially in this next year Um, So what we've done is I've had some wonderful conversations with our community partners. Um, IHC came to the table, five people to have a meeting about 
the loss of this and how devastating it is, of course, because they see that this is an upstream solution to a lot of the problems that are happening um, in societal and, and familial and um, physical health and would like to see what we do be rebirthed. And so we were we are hoping to have a conversation with community partners, um, get a variety of people around the table to talk about how can these life skills modules, because you didn't hear Aaron talk about how you know feeding the sourdough was so extremely important. It was really, <laughs> that's the vehicle. Um, <laughs> it was really about how that life skills space and that ability to live life in real time, in real practice, made a difference. And that is possible to employ in a lot of other areas, a lot of other training. And what we want is to open source what we've created. Mm -hmm. It's not proprietary. We hope that a lot of people will want to do what we're doing with a variety of different opportunities because not everybody wanted to be a baker anyway. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the Other Side Academy, which starts mm -hmm. up businesses to support the, the work of a therapeutic community mm -hmm. and their goals to create a small home village here on the west side of Salt mm -hmm. Lake City. And I just see Flourish Bakery as being so crucial to our, yeah. our community. So you're talking with IHC and some yeah. other community partners, yes. giving us that silver lining. Yeah, we would love to see this carried out. But, you know, it takes the entire community to make it happen. It can't just be one entity, and nor should it be. No. Everyone deserves this mm -hmm. opportunity. Everyone deserves to have what Aaron has experienced in his life. Yeah, Aaron. And, and others also around me in my community deserve to have a a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And son. they deserve me mm -hmm. to treat them with the same respect mm -hmm. that I expect mm -hmm. to be treated with. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've got I'm friends with a lot of my neighbors now. <laughs> well, maybe not a lot, but a few that I weren't <laughs> I wasn't with before. Give it and time. Uh, we actually talk, and um, man, I'll be—I'm gonna go fishing with my uh, <laughs> my neighbor one of these days. I yeah. hope, because he is one heck of a fisherman. Do you feel that this program is giving you something solid to to kind of like be a milestone in your life? Oh, a, are you a, kidding me? A before me? and after <laughs> are you for kidding? Aaron Barney. <laughs> um, every. Everybody and anybody that has seen any portion of my life has seen um, real, uh, tangible change in the way that I act, react, um, approach situations, the way I talk to people. Um, I mean, I don't look at things to get in trouble anymore. I look for ways to have fun yeah. in a real way, in a real life. And uh, my PO sees it in me too. See, um, there's another great stakeholder, I would yes. think, right, for yes. this approach. Erin, uh, we're just about out of time, and I do want to ask you, what was your graduation meal or recipe that you had to create as a final, oh final act? We were just talking about it. Yeah. Um, I did... The whole thing? No, just you could just tell. Just give us the okay. highlights, the menu. Okay. <laughs> I did a eclairs. Ooh. 
and they aren't your average eclairs. The filling is made with a mousseline on the inside, which is a Italian buttercream and a and a. Uh, yeah. Oh man, now I'm trying. Yeah, pastry cream. <laughs> and a pastry cream mixed together. Yeah. But you got to mix them together right to yeah. get that mousseline to have that right flavor. And then I did a praline cake white, mm-hmm. well, on a white cake mm-hmm. with a praline sauce in the middle, praline sauce around the top mm-hmm. with pecans all around it. And I actually have pictures on my on my laptop out there. Oh, you're going to have to send me one to put in the show uh, notes. Well, thank you for coming down and being willing to share a bit more of your story with Radioactive and All the best to you and what you're going to do next, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And Reverend Amy Altizer, Flourish Bakery, how can people get in touch to to take this model and run with it to support you in what hopefully comes next with IHC? So, um, of course, our our website is still live. But once things do begin to close down and you can't get in touch with us at at Flourish headquarters... um, my name is my email at Gmail. All right. <laughs> so. But you spell it A-I-M-E-E-A-L-T-I-Z-E-R at gmail.com. Well, I hope this isn't the last of you here on Radioactive. Yes, Erin. <laughs> Can I give a shout out? Yeah. Her whole team mm. that works, staff, everybody that works up in the office, the, guy, the staff that works down there with us, I, I would go through and say each one of their names, but... They all know who they are, mm-hmm. and uh, they are really some amazing people that have the biggest hearts. Uh, it takes a team to make a great thing happen. Well, and she has picked the yes. a best team that Absolutely. I've ever seen in my life. Thank you, Aaron. We're here for whatever comes next. Thank you, Reverend Laura. Altizer. All right, folks, stick around. Up next, Sydney Shorter from the Utah Black Chamber. Gender Bands is a Utah-based nonprofit helping transgender people pay for transition-related costs. Applications for transition grants open November 1st. For details, visit genderbands.org. Stonewall Sports Salt Lake City is an LGBTQ plus and ally not-for-profit sports league. They strive to develop a well-connected and diverse community through organized competition and social or fundraising events. More details at stonewallsportsslc.org. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. And then Music at 8 with DJ Mike Walton and his Thursday Night Psych Out. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich at 1. Jolene checks in at 3 with Illustrated Blues. And John gets your weekend started on a brand new day at 6 a.m. And, of course, you can listen on demand to the last two weeks of any of our shows. Just go to krcl.org and click the Programming tab to find Listen On Demand. Better yet, download our mobile app wherever you get your apps and listen when you want, where you want. To close out the show tonight, a conversation with Sydney Shorter, the new president and CEO of the Utah Black Chamber. It's a get-to-know-you conversation that we recently Zoomed, and we start off with her origin story. Let's pass the microphone to Sydney Shorter. I responded to Hurricane Katrina. Louisiana is home for me, but I ended up back there in response to Hurricane Katrina. And um, my intention initially was to engage through the American Red Cross because I had led um, earlier on in my career, the largest American Red Cross in the world at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, The American Red Cross was extremely overwhelmed 
but also the city of Baton Rouge uh, received some funding um, in response to to Hurricane Katrina for for those citizens that uh, needed to be reemployed and employed quickly, because quite frankly, uh, the majority of the individuals who ended up evacuating were employed. And so rapid reemployment was really important. And so the city of Baton Rouge, uh, through their workforce investment uh, agency, uh, aligned with their on-the-job training program, where we could subsidize those uh, subsidize uh, those salaries, and we brought on a lot of. So it, it was mutually beneficial for employers and the em potential employees. So the program really was successful because our goal was that understanding a lot of the programs that were being put in place was really failing those citizens. Uh, and we were determined that this would be a success and it was. And quite frankly, we had quite a few individuals who did end up staying in Baton Rouge and not going back to New Orleans and were permanently uh, employed in those positions. So we were very proud of that work. Well, and Utah has a Hurricane Katrina connection too. We had yes. quite a few folks come here as a result. And I understand not an insignificant percentage of folks staying here. Um, yes. And I'm kind of curious about your move to leading the Utah Black Chamber of Commerce and what you see as not only the chamber's role, but your role in it in helping black people start businesses, access capital in Utah, which is what, 93% white, I believe. So yes, that's a lot yes. of work ahead. It's a lot of work ahead, but I am not uh, deterred by the data because what I have found is that there's a lot of great work, a lot of great effort happening here in Utah, despite the numbers. And one of the things that I shared uh, with the board before coming here is that there, is, there are things that are going on here that other commune, Black communities around the country should take note of. And on both sides of what the work looks like, because none of us can work do this work successfully in a silo uh, or, or without some type of partnership, collaboration, allies, or in a collective. And that is happening uh, in Utah, despite the numbers. And so I always say, you know, data, I'm okay with data, but it's what we do with it, right? What kind of solutions, uh, what kind of strategies are we going to put in place around it to ensure that what we're doing here in Utah is sustaining, elevating, and attracting when it comes to diversity? And so those three things are critically important, but in order to attract, we must sustain, right? Yeah. Um, and so what we what we look to our successful strategies and partnerships to make that happen. Uh, from a chamber perspective, uh, it's critically important that our organizations that join us are ready for opportunities in which we have many that are. So then that gleans the other aspect of the work to ensure that they have the proper access to opportunities. And so we know we have to address inequities in those areas. But quite frankly, those who, who are the, those that have the opportunities to offer most often um, 
intended or unintended, look right within their circles or right within their environment. And if it's not seen, they don't look for it. But what we're saying is, no, we're here, we're absolutely ready. So there's that aspect from the chamber standpoint to really ele elevate, to make sure that the access is there, but also understanding that others understand that we are here and we exist. Um, and so there's work to be done as it relates to that. And that's kind of the chamber's role. The chamber's role is to ensure that the pipeline is there but it's actually open and that it is working and that is effective. I've seen these different chambers open up over the last few years. And I think a direct response to what the traditional um, Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce can't offer even in committee form, um, that the Utah Black Chamber of Commerce or the Utah Hispanic Latino Chamber of Commerce, um, LGBTQ Chambers of Commerce, they have a role to play in leading within their own community and then connecting to the larger community. Uh, and like you said, folks will look in their immediate circle and then if there's no issue there, well, we're good. So what are the challenges or obstacles or barriers that you see and, and you want to directly start working on? So number one for me, uh, when I, so I started on April 4th, on April 5th, I had my first board meeting. And so I presented a 90 day plan. One of the things that I did present to the board uh, was this whole aspect around black businesses becoming bankable. And we know that there are disparities uh, when it comes to uh, fair banking practices, right? Affordable capital, access to affordable capital. And so number one for me, because I look at it this way, this is truly no matter your culture in business, it is an economic ecosystem. That is what it is. And so what we all should be, all of us that are participating in that should be working towards ensuring that everyone who wants to be a part of that economic ecosystem is a vital part of it. And in that way, they are contributing to it. If not, those businesses and individuals cost the economic ecosystem something. And so we can truly eliminate that. And one of the things I talk about often is that, you know, we're fortunate if we have an opportunity as entrepreneurs to work in our areas of passion. That's a wonderful thing. And we kind of discount, well, I don't have to make a, not a lot of money. Well, it's not even the amount. It's just the fact that it does impact economics. And you are in it, not for it to cost you money, but you, you do need to generate revenue in order to at least just keep it going, right? We're not even talking about profits mm. at this point. However, operational capital, capital to ensure that you can get to the next contract or to your next payroll date is critically important for so many businesses. But when you are not included uh, in that aspect of business, it is debilitating, 
it's disturbing for me, but it also ends up costing the economic ecosystem dollars that it really doesn't have to. And I use as an example, an organization that's in business, uh, they have a vial of their operating with a contract, but that contract may not get paid out until like every 120 days, but you have payroll along the way. So you do need access to operational capital but you also may have a viable contract sitting there that you want to now engage, but you don't have a long enough runway of capital to engage it. So my question from a banking standpoint is, why are there these huge disparities in what the capital would cost me and what it may cost you when we may have the same credit rating. I may even have a Duns and Bradstreet rating as well, right? Yeah. Like I've even gone that far. Mm -hmm. But then it cost me different when you line it all up. And sometimes there are good reasons, but far too often it is not. Yeah. And so those are the things that we want to address. If you know, if we want to just put it blatantly, hey, let's just look at it in, at it in green. I like that. Just, yeah, it's all green it that's running green. through every business. Yeah. So James Jackson III, the founder of the Utah Black Chamber, is going to stay on in an advisory capacity, but mm -hmm. just turn this all over to you as a new CEO and president. And I'm just thinking about what you just said, and it comes down to relationships. So how many banks have you knocked on since you had that board meeting on April 5th? I'm guessing, you know, getting introduced to uh, the Utah Movers and Shakers is, is part of what you do. And I'm just curious what the response has been. The response has been good, I must say, quite frankly. Um, but I will say the other aspect of that is that I have heard from some that we're here, we're supporters, and uh, I haven't quite seen them just yet. But I am, I am making my way to those who have made themselves available um, and so, uh, quite frankly, I am going to take the, 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 the path of least resistance initially. I absolutely am. And I, I, you know, I make, I, you know, I make no apologies for that because of course we want to work with who wants to work with us. Uh, I think by doing that, those types of partnerships help us leverage and elevate the work that we're doing and the value that we bring to our, to our members as a collective. Mm. And I think it helps us to really represent what the economic ecosystem looks like. Because they're, they're, it doesn't function when there are silos. So when we have partners and allies and supporters and sponsors who are there and ready and willing to work with us, it's definitely uh, my job to ensure that those partnerships, that all of those things align and bring value to our members. Do you see the chamber as playing a role as a pipeline to in changing or increasing DEI in the banking economy or the banking community here in Utah? Absolutely. It, it, it has to. That, that is one of the spaces that it is critically important for, for businesses to, to really be profitable 
um, to set out to fulfill their mission or serve who they are intended to serve, that aspect has to happen because there is really the way our economy is structured. Absent of banking, what is it called? What is it that we're actually doing when we're not utilizing some type of banking structure, even if we are and even if we are elevated to the point where we are working with VCs, right? Well, those instruments, those, those dollars still flow through banking institutions. So we have we really have to work on what that looks like for, for our businesses. And we just really want it to be what it says it's supposed to be on on paper you know that it is that it is fair that it is equitable that there is no bias we just want it to be and do what it says it is well how can folks get in touch rather than waiting for a knock from uh you they can reach well i have actually what's interesting is that i put our email address out on linkedin and said hey just send an email uh, I want to talk to everyone, but here's what's interesting. I did go in and have a list of all of our members, our current members, so that all of the information I have on them, whether it's a phone number or email address, <laughs> they'll hear from me if I don't hear from them. <laughs> it's like I'm calling, I'm knocking, I want to know, because this is my time to really listen and to seek to understand. I, I know just by experience of being an entrepreneur and being in businesses, but also my work is about elevating businesses. So I know what that is like, but I also want to be true to hearing uh, from our members and potential members of what it is they say that they need. So the way to get in touch with me is s.shorter at utahblackchamber.com. And that is Sydney Shorter, the new president and CEO of the Utah Black Chamber. Check tonight's show notes for a link, that email address, and details about First Fridays with the Utah Black Chamber. Tomorrow, 6 to 8 p.m., meet them on the rooftop at the shop. They're hosting HBCU interns. It's a mix and mingle, food and drink, details about tickets in tonight's show notes. And that's our show. I'm Laura Jones. Tomorrow night, it's Punk Rock Farmer Friday, and you're going to get more true tales from the agrihood with Al Dine, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer, plus some homegrown music from Early Successional. If you like the show, we hope you'll share it. If you have a suggestion, email me, radioactive at krcl.org. Again, thanks for listening, for plugging into your community weeknights at 6 during Radioactive on KRCL.